Hello and welcome to the reading of the business record for Friday, July 1st, 2022. I'm your reader, Susan Hack. This week's cover story, Four Leaders Give Us a Peek at Their Pastimes by Emily Barsky. This is the business records photo issue story, but also has written information accompanying it. The business record has produced a photo issue since 2012. The issue has primarily focused on showing the hobbies of some of our community leaders. Although, because of the pandemic, we took a different direction to highlight frontline workers in 2020 and the return of staple community gatherings in 2021. This year, we're again focusing on how a few of our community leaders use their leisure time. As I was working on planning this story, I couldn't help but reflect on the first book I read this year. In 168 Hours, You Have More Time Than You Think You Do, author Laura Vanderkam articulates the premise that if people say they don't have time for something, it means it's not a priority to them. Of course, there are exceptions, and there's certainly privilege at play when people are able to choose lives that are desirable to them. But through research and many examples, she shows that even those who our society may deem the busiest, think CEOs, community leaders, or working parents, can find time in life to do the things that they really care about. She even questions whether there is such a thing as being busy because every one of us has the same 168 hours in our week. We just may spend our time very differently. Vanderkam writes, Broadly, those who get the most out of life try to figure out and focus on their core competencies. They know that at least one key difference between happy, successful people and those just muddling along, is that the happy ones spend as many of their 168 hours as possible on their core competencies, honing their focus to get somewhere, and, like modern corporations, chucking everything else. What are some of those everything else activities that those successful and happy people may be chucking? In our leisure time, we devote vast hours to watching television or shopping, she writes. And I should note, the book was written before smartphones were as popular as they are now, so I can only imagine that she would add scrolling through phones to that. Yet, she says, few people classify these activities as meaningful or important. The book has made me change my own habits, focusing on eliminating as many hours as possible each week doing activities that don't bring much meaning to my life. So I couldn't help but think of this year's photo issue through this lens, and that perspective is why I was particularly curious to know whether what people enjoy from their hobbies applies to the work they do in their day jobs. My hope is that as you look at and read about the four people we've featured this year, a corporate leader, two nonprofit leaders, and an attorney, you can not only learn a little more about them, but you can also think about what pastimes bring you the most happiness in your 168 hours. Enjoy.
The first leader featured is Dave McKenzie, President and Chief Operating Officer, ChildServe. Tell us a little bit about your hobby. In general terms, my hobby is gardening and landscaping. But more specifically, it has been restoring a residential pond installed by the original homeowner in the 1920s. The journey has gone from an archaeological dig to restoration of the original pond to modernization and addition of a second pond. It is a wonderful oasis from the daily stressors to sit and feed eight lively koi, listen to the sound of the waterfalls, and admire water lilies. When did this hobby start for you? This project turned hobby started 23 years ago when we moved into the house and learned a pond once existed on the property. Uncovering decades of growth and digging out the original cement pond occurred in the summer of 1999. What's something this hobby provides you that applies to your job? Over the past 28 years at ChildServe, we have started and grown over 25 new services for children with special health care needs and their families. Creating a backyard habitat is very similar to starting new services. You must start with a vision and a plan. You have to be willing to get your hands dirty. Always manage change and adapt as things never turn out exactly as you thought they would. Diversity ensures the system will thrive. Be patient. Be flexible. Enjoy the moment. Tell us a tip or a fun fact about your hobby. After all these years, last spring, the koi spawned for the first time. Next, Andrew Allen, President and CEO of YSS. Tell us a little bit about your hobby. I race dirt bikes through the woods with my boys. Most weekends from late February to early November, our family loads up the RV and drives to a nondescript field adjacent to timber somewhere in the Midwest. We set up camp with 200 of our closest friends, fire up the pit bikes, break out the grill, and light a campfire. You can feel the memories in the moment as they're being made. After a long week, it's pure enjoyment and a true sense of community. It's more than the race day. It's the race weekend with our race family. When did this hobby start for you? While I didn't grow up riding motorcycles, my oldest son has always been fascinated by dirt bikes. As a child, there were times that he'd get upset, and looking at dirt bikes on Craigslist was the only thing that would calm him down. Inevitably, we bought one. Inevitably, he wanted to race. This year is our fourth season of competition as a family. What's something this hobby provides you that applies to your job? Embrace the struggle and enjoy the ride. I love innovation and big ideas. My mind skips from concept to successful project completion almost instantaneously. Yet with most things in life, it's never a straight line to accomplish your goals. Racing dirt bikes is no different. Whether it's a bad start, 
a misjudged off camber, oof, a bottleneck, a big hill, a wreck, or exhaustion. Adversity during a two-hour two-hour race is almost guaranteed. It would be easy to give up. I almost did my first season. But embracing the struggle in life and in the race allows me to enjoy the ride. Tell us a tip or a fun fact about your hobby that most people wouldn't know. Two things. First, you can learn to ride and race at any age. I started at 40. Over a race weekend, you'll see riders from 4 to 74. Second, if you and your bike ever fall into a 40-foot ravine, just wait patiently for a couple of hours until the race is over, and a sweeper will most likely pull you out. Next, Kathy Law, attorney at Nymaster Good PC. Tell us a little bit about your hobby. I am a warm glass artist, which involves cutting and layering glass in a kiln and firing it to temperatures between 1,350 and 1,700 degrees, sometimes in multiple firings, with each firing done to reach a desired effect. Some of the items I make are functional, such as vases, bowls, light fixtures, or plates. Others are purely decorative, such as jewelry or landscapes. When did this hobby start for you? I took my first fused glass class in about 2009, after we remodeled our home. I could not find light fixtures that I liked, so I decided I wanted to learn how to make my own glass sconces. What's something this hobby provides you that applies to your job? My day job is a, as a real estate attorney, doing primarily commercial real estate development, but with a large focus on renewable energy, such as wind, solar, biogas, or renewable diesel projects. My fused glass and my real estate practice involve attention to detail, focus, creative problem-solving skills, and discipline. I also sometimes, sometimes use recycled glass in my art. Tell us a tip or a fun fact about your hobby that most people wouldn't know. We never throw a scrap of glass away, no matter how small. Small pieces can be ground into a sand-like consistency, which is called frit and can be used in projects to create designs. Chris Nelson, President and CEO, Kemen Industries. Tell us a little bit about your hobby. My wife, Linda Nelson, and I have nine Siberian Huskies at our home near Des Moines. They range in age from 1 to 13 years old. Some of the older dogs don't mush as frequently. We usually retire them around 10 years old, and they enjoy their time playing with the younger puppies and lounging with our family. All the dogs live outdoors in a large open run. Each winter, I mush them on trails through nearby woods by our home. The dogs and I are always excited for a fresh snowfall and a chance to run the trails. When did this hobby start for you? 
I've always loved dogs and the Siberian Husky breed. I've had a team of Huskies and have been mushing them for about 15 years. Over the years, we've been fortunate to have 25 different Husky dogs as our family pets. What's something this hobby provides you that applies to your job? Huskies love to pull and run and are incredibly smart dogs with great energy. When they are encouraged and coached well, they will do amazing things. As a longtime believer in servant leadership, I think encouragement and steady support are crucial in creating and leading successful teams, human or canine. Kemen is a manufacturer of pet food ingredients, so of course our dogs only consume products that include Kemen ingredients because I know they are highly palatable and free of oxidation. Tell us a tip or a fun fact about your hobby that most people wouldn't know. Most people don't know that the direction the Huskies go is entirely based on the lead dog and verbal commands from the musher. A strong lead dog is a very valuable member of the team and essential to the other Huskies. Traditionally, all commands from the musher are in the native Eskimo language. Thus, I've had to become versed in Eskimo commands over the years. This week's feature story, Building an Engagement Engine for Wellness by Joe Gardiaz. Navigate Wellbeing, a fast-growing West Des Moines employee engagement technology company, recently broadened its partnership with regional health system Mercy One to jointly launch a new initiative, Circle Plus, powered by Mercy One, a subscription-based smartphone-accessed wellness service aimed at helping people to improve and maintain their overall health. For a $20 monthly subscription, users have access to the wellness platform that brings together fitness, lifestyle, and mental health applications. Among them are Fitbit, Fringe, Total Brain, and others, tied together through Navigate Wellbeing's user hub, said Dor Darren Novak, president of Mercy One's Population Health Services Organization. The subscription-based program, which includes a Fitbit device, is open to all members of the communities that Mercy One serves, not just Mercy One patients. It's truly a consumer offering, Novak said, so if you're not a Mercy One patient, we would obviously welcome you to become one, but it's something that we are going direct to consumer with. It's open to anyone that's interested in signing up, he said. Navigate Wellbeing, which describes itself as, quote, a well-tech company helping organizations create more health and happiness in the employees, clients, and communities they serve, end quote, has worked with Mercy One for the past six years in coordinating wellness services through its technology platform. Navigate does business with corporate clients that employ more than 1.5 million people nationwide. It currently has 15 Iowa companies as clients through its relationship with Mercy One, providing wellness services for nearly 10,000 Iowa employees for companies that include large local employers, such as Hy-Vee, 
Meredith Corp., and Kemen. Companies are increasingly taking more responsibility for improving the health of an individual, especially toward their mental health, and actually the whole health of the person, financial well-being, nutrition, physical activity, mental well-being, said Troy Vincent, Navigate Wellbeing's founder and CEO. We're an engagement engine, and we can engage those folks, he added. And the Circle Plus program is engaging the whole person by putting all the digital tools under one roof. As Mercy One President and CEO Bob Ritz put it when Circle Plus was announced in March, quote, Our mission is based on improving the health of our communities. The best way to achieve this purpose is to not only serve people who are sick, but to help everyone stay healthy, end quote. Vincent said that Navigate is well-positioned to help with that opportunity based on its experience working with both, both employers and health systems. Those employers are trying to build meaningful relationships with their people. They're trying to retain them, and they're trying to show them that they care about them, he said. But then we are also looking at ways that we can closely connect the localization of healthcare in every single group that we work with. For us, it's creating a better seamless experience for the individual when it comes to their care. In addition to working with Mercy One, Navigate Wellbeing has about 20 health system clients across the United States, including systems located in Colorado, Kansas, Nebraska, North Carolina, and South Carolina. The health system market we work with throughout the country is one of our largest growing pillars as a company, Vincent said, and I think that now we're seeing the willingness of companies and health systems to really take advantage of the willingness of people to embrace technology and look at that being part of the mainstream of how we care for people, he said. A unique aspect of the Circle Plus program is that it is Navigate's first effort at building a membership-based subscription model. We're hoping to replicate this model in other health systems, Vincent said. We're learning and taking advantage of the opportunity that we have here in Iowa with the Circle Plus program, he said. Mercy One's Novak noted that the health system worked with Navigate to pilot the platform with a large, Greater Des Moines employer that was willing to partner to test it. We had other settings, such as assisted living communities, all participating within the pilot to provide feedback as to their experience, both with the hub and the Fitbit devices, he said, noting that about 250 individuals in all were involved. And then, based on that feedback, is really where we began to expand out the service offerings that are within Circle Plus. That's something we're going to continue to do based on consumer feedback, he said. Here are some questions that we covered with Darren Novak. What are their expectations in response to the personal health coach option? One of the largest points of feedback in terms of the pilot was really that interest and engagement around that personalized health coach, whether it comes from navigation of the health system or partnering in terms of the wellness component. So that's something that we see as a key value add as part of the Circle Plus program and something that we're continuing to expand in terms of the services that we're able to assist with 
as part of the program. Will Mercy One or Navigate Wellbeing be aggregating results from the apps? In terms of aggregate data and things along those lines, those are really things that we would be looking to source via voluntary surveys and feedback from the members themselves. Are people who use Circle Plus going to be given the option to lower their health premiums as an incentive for using this? I would say that's not a primary focus near term. We would welcome the opportunity to partner with employers in terms of the benefit design or with payers as well. I think that would really come through more on the employer benefit discussions as part of a defined or voluntary benefit or partnering with payers, which of course is an area of focus for us as well. Are there particular demographics you think this will appeal to the most? We took an intentional approach as part of our pilot to have a wide demographic that was enlisted to get really robust feedback. I would say that really the enrollment today doesn't necessarily fit any particular demographic. That's something that we're continuing to get feedback on from members as well as the broader community as we're talking to employers and others as to where they see the benefit associated with a particular application and wellness platform. Where do they stand in terms of enrollment? In terms of our initial predictions, projections. We're right on target for where we expected to be in terms of the launch. We expect as we get into enrollment periods in the fall, where they identify what their benefits programs are going to look like, that we'll continue to see it grow. From the Business Records Insider Notebook, Bits and Bites of the Finer Side of Iowa Business. Construction underway on Live Nation Entertainment Venue in Waukee's Key Town Loop Commercial District by Kathy A. Bolton. More than $93.5 million in new commercial construction projects got underway in the Des Moines area in May, including the Live Nation Entertainment Venue in Waukee, a review of area building permits shows. The $25 million building permit for the Waukee project was the largest issued in May among the 13 communities and Polk County areas surveyed by the business record. In all, 28 commercial building permits for new projects were issued by the communities. Between January 1st and May 31st, the communities surveyed have issued 91 permits for new projects. The permits were valued at over $590.1 million, the review shows. Harry Coyne, a Quad Cities developer who is a principal of the 40-acre Key Town Loop development planned on the northwest corner of Grand Prairie, Grand Prairie Parkway and Ashworth Road in Waukee, announced last fall that Live Nation Entertainment, Inc. had signed a 20-year lease agreement to occupy a 3,500-seat concert venue. The venue is the centerpiece of the $100 million entertainment district that is expected to also include retail shops, restaurants, and one or more hotels. Live Nation Entertainment, which includes Ticketmaster, Live Nation Concerts, and Live Nation Sponsorships, 
is expected to bring 100 or more events annually to the venue, which has not yet been named. The event facility will be about 30 feet tall and include more than 57,000 square feet of space, according to a site plan approved by Waukee officials. The facility will include space on the ground floor for a stage and seating or standing space for concert goers. Also included is tiered seating, a VIP lounge, a kitchen, a bar area, and restrooms. Construction is expected to be completed by late 2023. COIN has said the first event will likely be held in the facility in late 2023 or early 2024. Other highlights from May's commercial building permits include a $10.2 million permit issued in Ankeny for a 108-room Staybridge Suites Hotel that is under construction at 2602 Southeast Hulsizer Road. The project is being developed by BMP Hotel Development, LLC. The hotel will have a footprint of nearly 66,000 square feet, according to city documents. The Plan and Zoning Commission approved the site plan in December 2020. A $2.7 million permit issued in Urbandale for the foundation work for the new headquarters for Worldwide Logistics, a company that arranges transportation of freight and logistics services across the country. The company began the development process for the new headquarters at 12408 Meredith Drive, but the pandemic stalled the project. Construction is expected to be completed by late 2022. Permits valued at $2.5 million each for strip shopping centers at 6920 and 6960 EP True Parkway in West Des Moines. The site is located north of Jordan Creek Mall. The project's developer is Jordan Creek Point, LLC. Plans for the project show restaurant and retail uses in the buildings. Construction is projected to be completed by 2023, according to city documents. Commercial Building Permits Issued in May Building permits were issued for 28 new commercial projects in May by area communities. The value of the new permits totaled more than $93.5 million, a review shows. To find out what commercial building permits were issued for new projects as well as others valued at $250,000 or more, go to bit.ly forward slash 3BSM capital T lowercase ul. Next story, ABI survey, Iowa companies preparing for an economic slowdown while continuing business investment by business record staff. Fewer Iowa manufacturers anticipate sales growth in the third quarter of 2022, but a majority of companies plan to make capital expenditures, according to the latest Iowa Association of Business and Industry quarterly business survey. The survey sent to ABI's board members in early June indicates that 48% of respondents expect sales to expand in the third quarter, compared with 60% who anticipated higher sales for the second quarter in the last quarterly survey. 
The quarterly survey has been conducted since December 2017. The second quarter survey results show more than 70% of respondents plan to make capital expenditures in the third quarter of 2022. Also, 51% of respondents expect the number of employees in their business to grow, which is similar to the results of 50% in the first quarter of 2022. This quarter's survey results reflect the national sentiment that businesses are preparing for an economic slowdown while continuing business investment, ABI President Mike Ralston said in a statement. Businesses are most concerned with the substantial increase in fuel costs and continued, continued supply chain and workforce challenges, he said. Iowa employers continue to have the future of Iowa's workforce as their focus, Ralston said. Employers continue to see retirements within their workforce. Business leaders are not just looking at the next quarter, but at the next 15 to 20 years, he said. About half of ABI's member companies are manufacturers. The business advocacy organization is made up of 1,500 member companies of all types and sizes in all 99 counties, employing more than 330,000 Iowans. In ABI's inaugural survey for the first quarter of 2018, the survey found that 80% of respondents expected sales to expand in 2018, 50% expected employee headcount to increase, and 5% expected to make capital expenditures in the first quarter of 2018. Five years ago, workforce recruitment and retention was the top issue survey respondents said they planned to address in the first quarter. You're listening to the reading of the business record for Friday, July 1st, 2022 on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Our next story, Iowa's medical cannabis sales reach new high by Joe Guardiaz. MedFarm Iowa, now operating under its new state agnostic name of Bud and Mary's Cannabis Company, is in, is in expansion mode, but founder Chris Nelson didn't need to search very far for more space to grow the Des Moines-based company. The company, which has grown and processed medical cannabis products as a licensed producer for Iowa's medical canna- cannabidiol program since 2017, in mid-June announced plans for a three-fold expansion of its indoor cannabis production facilities in Des Moines. MedFarm Iowa, which changed its Doing Business As name to Bud and Mary's with the Iowa Secretary of State's office in January, has been a primary producer of medical cannabis products in the state since the products became legally available with the passage of Iowa's Medical Cannabidiol Act in May 2017. Sales began on December 1, 2018, and there are now five dispensaries that distribute medical cannabis products to cardholders. Bud and Mary's current production location, which is within sight of Kemen's headquarters on Des Moines' east side, occupies about 15,000 square feet of a warehouse-slash-office building 
that was constructed in 1952 by Yellow Freight. The vacant warehouse, located at the rear of its existing space, will allow the company to build out an additional 22,000 square feet for cannabis production, said Lucas Nelson, group president of Bud and Mary's. The new space, designed by Vantage Architects, LLC, will be built out by Estes Construction of Des Moines. Our owner, Chris Nelson, saw the vision for this back when it was not necessarily the easiest investment, said Lucas Nelson, who is Chris's nephew and the grandson of R.W., Bud, and Mary Nelson, co-founders of Kemen. But I think it's paid off, and we've seen that time and time again. In any one of the five dispensaries, when you talk to a patient, someone who receives the benefit from this, it was all worth it, he said. Medfarm Iowa has been the predominant producer of medical cannabis products for the past four years, and its expansion in Iowa is a response to a takeoff in demand over the past year. A second authorized producer, Iowa Cannabis Company, which currently operates two of the dispensaries, has been working to establish its own manufacturing facility. On May 19th, that company, ICCMFG Holdings, LLC, was granted a second one-year extension by the Iowa Department of Public Health on its deadline to begin operations and start delivering products to dispensaries, according to a letter provided by the department. The company had originally agreed to launch its medical cannabidiol manufacturing facility by July 2021, but last year was granted its first extension. The company cited supply chain shortages of equipment needed to operate the Iowa City facility as the current reason for the delay. ICC now has until May 1, 2023 to begin operations. Further delays, quote, may result in action, end quote, related to its manufacturing license, the department wrote. The number of medical cannabis cardholders in Iowa, as of May, now exceeds 10,000 individuals, a more than 50% increase in the past year. The increase is due in large part to a change in Iowa law that eliminated a cap on the THC content of medical cannabis. Products are distributed to cardholding patients at five state-authorized dispensaries across Iowa, which are located in Council Bluffs, Iowa City, Sioux City, Waterloo, and Windsor Heights. More than 500 additional patients in Iowa, on average, are being approved for cards each month, which requires a certifying practitioner to attest that the applicant has one of 14 authorized conditions, which range from autism and cancer to seizures with chronic pain being the most frequently authorized condition, which can include back pain, neck pain, joint pain, sports injuries, and migraines. In June 2020, Governor Kim Reynolds signed a law that revised the limits on the amount of THC, the Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol molecule in marijuana, which is the main psychoactive ingredient that produces a high. 
The new law replaced the previous 3% THC limit with a cap of 4.5 grams dispensed per patient every 90 days, a threshold that can be exceeded if a physician deems it necessary to effectively treat a condition or for people who are terminally ill. It also increased the number of applicable conditions for which treatment could be sought. The changes gave MedFarm the free freedom to formulate the most therapeutically beneficial products for its customers, Lucas Nelson said last week during a ceremonial groundbreaking for the expansion. In 2021 is when we really noticed the difference in sales, Nelson said. We were able to lower our prices, in part because of that legislation. So it's really had a positive impact on the patient. It's tough enough as it is out there. So anything we can do that lowers that price for them is good. The law change helped, and more production space will help lower prices as well. So it's a very exciting time for us, he said. Bud and Mary's also operates in Colorado, where it produces both medical cannabis and recreational marijuana products. It's currently expanding its existing facility there, as well as entering the Michigan market this summer with the construction of a production operation and a retail store there. The market in Colorado is still very, very busy, Nelson said. Lots of people to serve, lots of opportunity for us, especially with that scientific nature that we're bringing. Not every company has that. In Michigan, we're going to have a facility that's comparable to this Des Moines facility by the time it's all said and done, and that's really our entry point into making sure we're able to serve enough folks up there, but also not get too far out over the skis, at least as we're getting our feet wet up there, he said. The company's $10 million investment in Des Moines will bring the space up to code and provide a state-of-the-art growing and production facility, Nelson said. Bud and Mary's currently has 29 employees in total, including staff for the two Iowa dispensaries it operates. It will hire about 20 additional people at minimum with the expansion, he said. That's even ahead of the building officially opening, so that we can really get the space ramped up and ready to go, he said. It takes a lot to grow these plants. It takes a lot of time to process them. So whether it's packaging, extraction, formulation, or cultivation itself, we will be bringing a lot of additional staff in, and I'm excited about that because I think it just continues to add to the local economy here, he said. If Iowa's program can grow to reach 30,000 card-holding patients, that would be a sustainable figure, he said. Asked if the company is now operating in the black, Nelson replied, quote, It's in a really good spot financially. We've still got some long-term debt that we've got to take care of. On a day-to-day -day basis, we're able to keep the lights on. There isn't that fear anymore of, gosh, if we don't have some changes, this isn't going to last very long. What we've still got to do is to continue to build those patient numbers and offer more products to keep people in the program, end quote. In a sidebar to this story, by the numbers, medical cannabis in Iowa. 
Number of Certifying Practitioners in Iowa, 1,738. Total monthly sales of medical cannabis products in May, $804,064. Increase in monthly sales from the prior year, 58%. Total patient cardholders, including minors, as of May 31st, 10,220. Increasing the number of cardholders from the prior year, 63%. Top three conditions treated by cardholder numbers. Chronic pain, 6,740. Post-traumatic stress disorder, 1,575. Cancer, 483. Other qualifying conditions include AIDS, HIV, ALS, severe pediatric or adult autism, Crohn's disease, MS, Parkinson's disease, seizures, terminal illness, ulcerative colitis, and corticobasal degeneration. The source for these numbers is the Iowa Department of Public Health. Now turning to the On Leadership column, by Susanna DeBaca, President and CEO of Business Publications Corporation. Leaders focus priorities as possible recession looms. Despite the fact that the U.S. economy remains strong by many measures, business leaders are bracing for a recession. CEOs and boards from Wall Street to Main Street are re-examining and in some cases refocusing their priorities as they prepare for economic decline. According to a Measure of CEO Confidence survey recently released by the conference board, CEO confidence is at its lowest point since the beginning of the pandemic. In fact, 68% of CEOs surveyed predict that, quote, the Fed's war on inflation will eventually trigger a recession, end quote. While a recession is not a foregone conclusion, leaders are proceeding with caution. Precipitous drops in the stock market, rising interest rates, concerns over inflation, supply chain issues, the war in Ukraine, and the persistence of COVID all point to a downturn or at the very least, a period of uncertainty. Part of being prepared for possible economic decline involves carefully reviewing organizational priorities. The recently released Gartner CEO and Senior Business Executive Survey examined C-suite priorities for the remainder of 2022 and for 2023 and showed that many business leaders are not only reviewing their priorities, but actually reprioritizing some key areas. While growth remains the top priority for the majority of top leaders, many in the study reported an increased focus on workforce issues and technology, strengthening, quote, people, purpose, prices, and productivity, end quote. I asked CEOs of local organizations that have prospered through various recessionary environments 
how they are rethinking or focusing their priorities as a possible recession looms. Don Coffin, president and CEO of Bankers Trust, said, Bankers Trust has weathered several storms of economic uncertainty over 100-plus years, and our priority has always been the same, to help businesses and individuals navigate their finances and reach their goals with the help of talented employees. A recessionary environment makes it even more important to focus on customer experience, which is at the heart of all that we do. We don't take on unnecessary risk or things outside our wheelhouse. This keeps us in a position of strength and stability to take care of customers and grow in our markets while maintaining a culture that retains top talent. Angela L. Walker Franklin, President and CEO of Des Moines University. At Des Moines University, we anticipate challenges ahead and pride ourselves on being proactive and nimble as we take a collaborative approach to planning. We have operated with a conservative fiscal policy that has served us well, being able to ride out market fluctuations with confidence. Our financial management approach has permitted us to continue to build our new campus, even in this challenging time. We will relocate in 2023 to a most transformative project that remains on schedule and on budget. We will weather the storm with optimism and resilience as our well-focused strategies remain unchanged. Mike McCoy, CEO, NCMIC. While our current NCMIC priorities remain unchanged, we are having different conversations in two categories. First, regarding customers in our finance business, Based on the severity of a recession, some small businesses could find themselves in a challenging financial position. Not unlike the first year of COVID, are we prepared and ready to help them navigate? What preventive measures can we take? What education can we provide for our small business customers? Secondly, and from our perspective most importantly, is our employees. How might they or their families be impacted by a recession? And how can we get prepared and in front of a recessionary challenges as a company? It's important to have these conversations internally and purposefully to ensure we are appropriately prepared. And Mike Ralston, president of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. ABI's priorities are established by its members. They are focused on workforce, advocacy, growth, financial performance, and foundation programming. A recession, and I expect one is coming, won't change our priorities, but may change our practices. For now, we aren't planning big changes, but may consider reducing expenditures, building our cash, cash position, or other measures if necessary. Our organization recently hired two new staff members who will begin their work in July. That should allow us to provide greater value for members and lead to stable or even increased revenues. Now turning to Dave Elbert's column, The Elbert Files, A Decade of Change. 
The hierarchy of Des Moines has changed a lot during the 10 years I've written this column. New leaders have surfaced as key players retired or moved on. Others, most notably Barry Griswell, Johnny Danos, and John Ruan III, died. When you look at lists of the area's 25 most influential business leaders, as selected annually by business record readers and compiled in our book of lists, only seven names from the original book in 2013 appear in the 2022 book. By that measure, the metro area's seven most persistent leaders are Dan Houston, Chairman and Chief Executive of Principal Financial Group, Jay Byers, Chief Executive of the Greater Des Moines Partnership, Kyle Krause, Chairman of Convenience Store Owner Krause Group, Suku Radia, Retired Accountant, Banker, John Papajan, Venture Capitalist and Philanthropist, Connie Weimer, owner of the Business Records Parent, Business Publications Corp., and Jim County, longtime entrepreneur and philanthropist. Still active, but not on the current most influential list, are such giants as real estate mogul Bill Knapp and insurance and gaming entrepreneur Gary Kirk. In their place are Ankeny entrepreneur Dennis Albaugh and hospital executive David Stark of Unity Point, among others. The current list includes 11 influencers from nonprofits, a segment that was largely missing from the top tier a decade ago. Named nonprofit leaders include two university presidents, Angela Walker Franklin of Des Moines University, and Iowa State University's Wendy Winterstein. Also on the list are the Convention and Visitors Bureau's Greg Edwards, United Way Chief Mary Sellers, and Community Foundation President Christy Naus. Leaders of three social service agencies made the cut in 2022. Renee Hardman, formerly of Big Brothers Big Sisters, Isa Knox of Urban Dreams, and Terry Caldwell-Johnson of Oak Ridge Neighborhood. While the 2013 list of influential business leaders was mostly private sector and professional executives working in insurance, banking, real estate, transportation, and publishing, the focus in 2022 includes nonprofits whose mission is improving the quality of life in the metro area. Another noticeable change is diversity. This year's list of the top 25 influencers is nearly evenly divided with 12 women and 13 men, while the list for 2013 included only two women. Similarly, the older list included only two people of color, while the current list has six. The individuals on the influencer lists, both in 2013 and today, are the reason Des Moines is recognized today on so many best-of lists. It's based on quality of life, and you don't need to look beyond the two names at the top of the 22 the 2022 list to see that. The area's number one and number two influencers are Principal Financial Chief Houston, 
who has topped the list for three years in a row, and Byers, CEO of the Greater Des Moines Partnership, a collection of area chambers of commerce and development groups that was created two decades ago to specifically improve the quality of life in the metro area. Byers' job has been to implement that mission, while Houston and his predecessors at Principal, including the late Barry Griswell and Larry Zimpelman, have provided hugely important financial and moral support toward that end. Principal is the third largest private employer in the metro area, with a workforce of about 6,500, but it is clearly the largest contributor to improved quality of life with its leadership on the $72 million Principal Riverwalk two decades ago, and more recently its $284 million renovation of its downtown campus, which ranks as the largest single expenditure on a downtown building project. A note about the most influential lists. Business record readers vote annually at year's end to create lists of most influential business leaders. When the first list was created, readers were asked to volunteer names and results were tabulated. In succeeding years, readers selected most influential individuals from lists of up to 200 names compiled from previous years with additions and subtractions as new leaders emerged and older ones died or moved away. You can find past book of lists that contain the influential lists dating back to 2013 at www.businessrecord.com forward slash B-O-L. And that does it for today's reading of the Business Record for Friday, July 1st, 2022. I'm your reader, Susan Hack. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime. Thanks for listening. <music>